These are people of the land, the common clay of new elder tales. You know, On that opening note, welcome everybody <laughs> to the Tomodachi Bros podcast review. Now yes. actually live after much hubbub, much ado, much uh, procrastination. And we are actually here tonight without our good Detaku. Yeah. I believe the, the news I heard was um, he got cut down and had to respawn back at the cathedral and we are anxiously awaiting him to catch back up to us. Yes, that is that is what happened. That is what the official record will show. <laughs> and in no way did I rummage around his pockets for any loose gold coins in the downtime. <laughs> Indeed. Welcome, everyone, to the world of Elder Tales. Not Elder Scrolls, no. Elder Tales, the biggest MMORPG in the world. And now it is the world because everyone who was playing on the day now known as the apocalypse is in the game now. And this is now our reality. This is Log Horizon. And in the game world of Elder Tales, the main character, Shiro, wakes up and finds himself realizing that not only is he, it's not a matter of I'm in the game, it's I'm in the world of the game. Because while certain rules of the game still apply, some don't. Luckily, he's able to meet up with uh, his good buddy Natsuku, who is my spirit animal, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Akatsuki, an assassin. So, yes, Log Horizon is a video game isekai show. Uh, for those that happen to not know what isekai is, it is the current booming genre. It's a subgenre of fantasy where it just basically means people trapped in a different world. And in Elder Tale, I mean, <laughs> and in Log Horizon, as Mr. Schneck has introduced us, our hero, Shiro, wakes up in the world of Elder Tales. Um, I would say this is very much a interesting kind of series because we start off kind of with a bang in terms of the introduction, I would say. The intro theme is very, like, in-your-face rock. <laughs> and you get to see all this big epic like action scenes everybody's in their cool action poses and everything like that and it is it is a cool intro but don't let it fool you <laughs> um <laughs> i would say it is very much a world building show at its core it, it, that's a fair assessment and uh this is one that is mr snack's top picks so if you could uh, elaborate a little bit on that as to you know why do you love this show so much sure i'd be happy to Actually, I, I owe it to Jutaku, having seen the show in the first place. I hadn't heard of it 
up until he showed me it. And in the first episode, within the first like 10 minutes, they're fighting monsters. They're screaming at the top of their lungs. Everyone is freaking out, trying to figure out what's going on. But uh, they soon come to realize that they're in the game. And then you realize that you're not watching an action show. You're watching kind of a political thriller. <laughs> and you, you didn't even realize that the genre had changed while you weren't looking. It seems to do that. It goes through a couple different phases, it feels like. They begin very much with establishing the world because it's like everybody kind of wakes up in the game. They're not really sure what's happening and they're sort of just wandering about. Right. We have a few battles as they're moving forward. So when they go to save Sarah, we get our first like actual battle. Right. In the show. And something I, I actually really enjoyed that scene. And I, I really kind of like how this show handles a lot of the combat in terms of it kind of reminded me of like a fire emblem sort of thing. How Shiro's kind of like the strategist and he's kind of like off to the side directing. If you're a big MMO fan, this or just RPG fan in general, this is definitely one where they get really into the nitty gritty of their world and the mechanics of the game and just how everything kind of functions. And as a newcomer, because Snek and Dataku have been into this, I, I'm new to Log Horizon. It, it was interesting. Um, I, I, I think for me, it it's definitely a slow burn from the beginning. Oh, yeah. There's so much that kind of builds. And for the first like eight episodes, I was like, oh my god what is happening what is this like it, it feels just like <laughs> what is going on we're just like i like burgers burgers are so good oh do you like curry i love curry that's so <laughs> yummy oh my gosh let's hit natsuko again oh man this is so i was like what is happening <laughs> this is just like if at first it's just like this really i was kind of put off honestly at the beginning so like this feels like there's just isekai generic by the numbers and it just wasn't until, like I said, I, I was talking to Snek. I think episode nine is like the big shift when you get that big shift in tone from this sort of weird yeah. slice of life isekai show. It sort of shifts. They have what's called the roundtable conference. And this is where Shiro gathers together all of the other guilds in the world. Because we've spent the first like eight episodes. It's a lot of just in Elder Tales, you can go on a quest. A quest is an adventure that you can go on. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> like, that is actually, believe it or not, that is shockingly true to the light novels. Um, Ditako and I have the first couple in the series. And basically, I think it's uh, pretty much up until Sarah is rescued and Nyanta joins the party. That's all the first book. And the first book, and it actually trimmed down some parts of it, but the first light novel is largely... Shiro trying to get his bearings straight and talking with Muriel, who, by the way, is, is much funnier in the book because she has a very thick Southern accent and she keeps making boob jokes. It makes Shiro and Natsuko incredibly uncomfortable the entire time. And they're just like, can, can, can we leave now? This is weird. <laughs> I feel like that probably would have worked a little better because I was actually kind of put off a little with Muriel in the beginning with I was like, how there's one response that. That is just really awkward where she's talking to Shiro and she has like a total breakdown because he's like uh, when he talks about creating Log Horizon, like the actual guild. And she just like melts down. It's like, oh, you have a home now. Oh. And it's, just, it's like, 
okay. Well, again, the book, the book, the book does explain that. I'm not going to be the apologist who's like, well, in the book, that makes more sense. I'm not going to do that. Um, cause I'm actually not even that far into the light novels myself, but at this point for context, when people got brought in by the event called the apocalypse, everyone kind of scattered into native tribalism. So the guilds were like, oh, I'm part of this guild. My guild's bigger than yours. So if you try anything, we'll mess you up. And Shiro and Natsuku start seeing the despair that this is causing. And they're like, okay, there's got to be something we can do to help. And then Muriel, who's a friend of Shiro's, it, it asks them to rescue an estranged member who is up in a northern town called Suskino. Now, for context, Elder Tales is a stupidly ambitious RPG because they have a thing called the Half Gaia Project, where the game is set in the real world, but in like a post-apocalyptic post setting where like, yeah, the world ended at some point, but no one knows how or why or when, and everything has just kind of like moved on with their lives since then. And so they actually have to travel half the distance between Tokyo but between Akihabara and Suskino is several days on foot. And so, yeah, th this is a huge and very strange game, but people who played, um, I want to say EverQuest, I think it was, Yutaku did a bit of research into it, and Elder Tales is very heavily influenced by early, early era MMOs like EverQuest and um, maybe RuneScape to a lesser extent. Oh, I could see that. I could totally see that. So so there's definitely some things that, like, in this timeline, Elder Tales became the big MMO instead of World of Warcraft. So basically, like, the biggest MMO in the world, suddenly everyone's inside it, and no one has any idea how or why. You can't die. You just go back to the cathedral, but you still need to eat. You still, like need to take care of yourself that is a big element of log horizon that you get that kind of sets it apart from a lot of other isekais versus the you know you die in the game you die in real life sort of thing in as snack mentioned when you die in elder tales you just respawn effectively yep. it's not until much later that we actually figure out that there are, are repercussions which is interesting because it, it makes you have to kind of go back because for the f beginning of the series, I was like, holy crap, why do I care? Why do I care? I'm like watching in my game, you know, the gamer logic takes over and you're watching it and you're like, <laughs> the whole thing with like Toya in the beginning and where where they're like, what are we good? It feels very overdramatic because I'm sitting there like, what are we, what are we gonna do, Toya? I'm like, you got your sword, go kill some more boars. We already established it only <laughs> takes 35 gold to like live. It's actually, Shiro even says it's really easy to live. And so it causes all these people to just sort of be, rather aimless which ends up why shiro yeah people fall into complacency yeah and it's not until like again we, we hit i think episode nine is really a big turning point we have the the roundtable conference and it's basically up until that point i'm again i'm just like sitting here like what is this what is happening this is just, just <laughs> nothing's happening and then it's not until you get this this scene where by the way if you're playing the home game Make sure you take a drink every time they adjust their glasses. <laughs> Actually, you might not oh, want to do don't, that. Don't you do might that. Have to You're going to go to the hospital, man. <laughs> you, you might have to call the EMS. But Remember, glasses um, are power in this world. Yes. So, but yeah, it's that see, he pushes up his glasses, sticks his hand up, and he's like, oh, by the way, I'm basically becoming de facto ruler. 
because I and imposing my will on everyone because I basically used they create a a hamburger stand and the food ends up becoming really important because it becomes a new discovery that they realize that as they are eating the food normally, it's bland and tasteless. Yep. But when they realize they actually start doing things as if they were not using their command menus to just do things, they realize, oh, wait, the, the food actually tastes good. We can actually do things in this world as if we were to do them in the real world, and it has a, and a different effect. Yep. And so the food actually becomes really important. And then, again, that's where we get the turnaround of like, oh, all that screwing around we did with the burgers. Yeah, th- this all had a point. And then that's when, you know, I was like, oh, okay, now we're doing something. <laughs> and it started to get into like the elements that I really enjoy with fantasy, which is the cool, the world building. And then it becomes, let's create a society. Let's not go run around and just be completely chaotic and just, <laughs> you know, PK everybody. Because earlier on, I'm like, why do I care about player killing? Like nobody cares. And it's really kind of was kind of frustrating for me because one of the first characters that really grabbed me was Sir not appearing in this film, or he ends up being, which was actually Isaac at the roundtable conference when he makes the point. He's like, why do I care? Like, why does anybody, why do you care about it? You know, we can't die anyway. It ends up. Uh, I'll, I'll just go ahead and tell you, uh, season two, Isaac actually becomes really important. He, he does come back. I'm, I'm glad to hear that because he was the one that kind of like, he was the first one to kind of put forward some of my concerns. I was like, what is it? Who cares? You know, you're going around and, and it's, you know, they're having a battle. I'm like, why, why, why do I care? Like you, you can't die. You just respawn. You know, it just feels very like not <laughs> tense or there's not a lot of weight to it. And it's not until you get later on that we start learning more and more about the world from episode nine, moving forward, it actually gets really political and interesting. They develop the roundtable conference and from Akihabara basically becomes the main headquarters and they begin branching out. They get invited by the people of the land. Is that what we're going to call them? Or you, you can say people of the land or landers will understand what landers. you mean. Yeah. So the, they refer to them in the show, people of the land, and they get invited by uh, the king and if I remember correctly, and they go, yeah, he's a king. Yes, they get invited by the king from people of the land. And what ends up happening is this really kind of interesting political development where we start learning about the people of the land who have are not NPCs anymore. They are now people in this world with their own thoughts and feelings, and they they exist now, which. We've got the the tension between the people of the land and the adventurers where a lot of it's not all the adventurers want to treat the people of the land, you know, as people because they've always seen them as NPCs and, and the people of the land have this view that, oh, the adventurers have always done what we've told them to do because we give we've doled out the quests and everything, which I thought was was clever because, <laughs> you know, you think about that in a video game. You're always oh stupid NPCs or whatever. And then yet they're looking at us as like, oh, you stupid players. You just do whatever I tell you to do. <laughs> and I actually thought it was quite clever. That comes up a little bit earlier. Like they, they do a good job foreshadowing a lot of the stuff that comes up during that segment. Right before Shiro and Nyanta battle against Demikos uh, in Suskino. And Demikos is like terrorizing these merchants. And one of the landers 
uh, this lady falls over and starts crying and he's like, uh, NPCs are crying now. That wasn't in the game. <laughs> it's like it visibly yeah. unnerves him. And I'm like, that's a really cool setup for, for what we learned later on. And that they have their own, like the, the NPCs already have their own like infighting. The landers have their own politics. They have their own beefs with each other. And then the adventurers come in. They're like, oh, great. Now we have these like demigod people we have to deal with who are way more powerful than us. They can't die. And they get like super ridiculous magical powers that we don't. <laughs> now they're like, oh, good. It's these guys. <laughs> Yeah, it begins to get gradually, it kind of unravels and becomes gradually more and more complicated. And the situation continues to develop as it goes along because not only that, but they find out that, I guess I would say the first real antagonist that we have is the basically the Goblin King raid event. Yeah. Basically a raid event that would happen normally in a video game basically comes to life in the world and they have this big goblin king and there's a big goblin army that is threatening the people of the land. And so then it becomes this, there's also this uh, this interesting layer between the people of the land. You're tr not really sure what their intentions totally are at first because there's this whole, are we using them? Are they using us sort of dynamic yeah. that I kind of got? And then on another level, you have... Shiro, who's kind of, he's he's always kind of there. He's always kind of thinking, but you never really are sure what's going to happen until like he makes his move. They do come to an agreement with the people of the land and occurs with Princess Lanesia, who effectively becomes the kind of the, the liaison. She goes to join the adventurers. Lanesia is kind of the um, the perspective of just a, a complete newcomer in terms of the people of land, like seeing how how the game characters see us versus us see them. Kind of interesting. No, definitely. And I guess I gotta say, if any of you listening at home are curious as to who Ditaku is, it's literally crusty. <laughs> he looks just like him. He acts just like him. He even kind of sounds like him. Krusty is, is just literally Ditaku. Uh, and, and he just sits there and just trolls Lunesia over and over and over again. Yeah. And she is like, you are the most pompous and self-righteous a-hole I've ever met. And he's like, and yet I am amazing. And she's <laughs> like, oh my God, you literally believe your own hype. <laughs> and then Shiro was like, oh, well, congrats, Krusty. You're her bodyguard now. And she's like, why would you do that? I was so thrown off on that episode where he first goes to talk to her. And then it's just like, I'm going to take a nap now. <laughs> and it's just like, I, 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 he's like, just, I'm an adventurer. It, I, it's all about the, the people, the land we end up learning have a very sort of rigid sort of what you would, I guess, consider a more medieval classic fantasy sort of monarch sort of government structure and, you know, kings, queens, etc. Whereas the adventurers, they're just like, we do whatever we want. We're the adventurers. And that's very alien to them. Yep. And that ends up coming a lot through Krusty and his interactions with Lanesia. Yeah. And he kind of, I like, I like how he illustrates his point. He's like, I'm an adventurer. If I want to take a nap, I just lie down and I take a nap and no one can stop me because I'm an adventurer. Ditaku and I started joking. It's like, if you think about it, people who play MMOs are a weird, like libertarian commune where everyone's technically looking out for number <laughs> one, but at the same time, we all have to deal with each other. 
And we just kind of accept that as part and parcel of the entire like existence thing. So it's like, there's this weird libertarian communist existence where we tolerate each other <laughs> while still trying <laughs> to do what's best for us. It really is interesting if you start breaking down the psychology of people who play MMOs. Yeah, that, and I mean, this this show gets really into, I would say, in comparison to other isekais, that might, would probably set Log Horizon apart for people is the fact that it is so very analytical in terms of the combat. I, I actually really enjoyed, one of my favorite whole sections of the show was when they actually got to the big... It's it's kind of a, a a trek to get there, but once they get to sort of the Goblin King battle, it was really cool seeing Shiro being the general sort of in the back. We, you know, we have these these scenes where they're, they're they're looking at the troop movements and how they're going to, you know, use their abilities, and we're going to move, you know, these characters over here. And you get I've seen from what I've seen of season two, I know you get more of that. I re, I was actually really enjoying the raid battles at the beginning of season two, and um, it. It is an it's an interesting show. It it is a bit of an acquired taste, I would have to say, because you do really have to kind of push through the the beginning part because it will sort of start to make sense. Yeah, Cog Cog put it best. The first five episodes or so, like before they go to Siskino, is very much like a slice of life anime. But it's like, oh, it's a slice of life, but we have no idea what like status quo is. And we're, we're trying to like feel it out while everyone else is still dealing with their own inherent confusion. And then you get kind of like the Suskino battle, which is where I would argue it picks up probably around the time Demikos first shows up because it's really the first time you have a meaningful antagonist. He's actually really interesting. He shows up again in season two and, and he's more interesting than you might think. Yeah, then as, as Cog was describing, they kind of go into this, they have this big ball and this big festival, and the, the show and the books do a really good job of kind of alternating between like, okay, we're going to have this really highbrow political discussion where Shiro is like, no, it's my way. There is no highway option. Deal with it. Yeah, he gets dubbed the villain in glasses. <laughs> and then and then there's moments where like, Krusty is like, oh, you should go out on the dance floor, Shiro. And she was like, <laughs> what? No, that's a terrible idea. And then they force him out anyway. <laughs> and the show does a good job balancing the comedy alongside the actual like intrigue plot lines. And honestly, that's one of my favorite parts about it is they, they don't forget that despite the fact that these are pretty much like working age people, like in their 20s and 30s, that they still have a very human aspect to them and they definitely all have strengths and weaknesses. Yeah, I think it, that I believe that's basically where we end. We have the big battle with the Goblin King where we have to stop the the Goblin raid and then it it shifts sort of back into that sort of slice of life a bit. It has this sort of alternating kind of ups and down sort of wave. Yeah, it kind of alternates a bit. Progress to the show where it'll kind of start out as slice of life and then it will build into the action and political development and then it'll hit a peak and then we'll sort of come back down. Yeah, and you'll kind of have a moment to breathe. Like, it's not back-to-back-to-back arcs. You you have, like, moments where you can catch your breath and, and process what happened. Right, and then it will start to build back up again. We actually, near the end of the season, also figure out that there is a repercussion for dying. 
And again, that was another element that it, it kind of helps you go back when we find out that when you do die in Elder Tales, you begin to lose elements of your memory of the real world. And because they are effectively, yep, we're still learning how things are happening. Unlike a lot of other isekai shows where they will kind of tell you up front, you know, you die in the game, you die in real life. This is, you know, how it is. These are the rules. These are the rules. Deal with it. You don't get that in Log Horizon. Everything is just, we don't know what's going on. Do you know what's going on? I don't know what's going on. But let's go ask that guy. Let's go figure this out over here. You learn the rules as the heroes learn the rules. And so this is this leads into the spots. Like they, they meet the uh, Wizard of Mirror Lake. Yes. Which, as it turns out, is an inherited title that's passed from one to the next. And he goes into a huge, huge exposition dump that explains enormous swaths of this world's theology and like the way the world works and why it works the way it does. And even he's like, yeah, we've been researching this for literally thousands of years and even we have no idea. (laughs) So he's just like, basically the, the biggest aspect that you take away from that conversation is the reason adventurers reincarnate is because body and soul or anima and psyche, as he insists on calling them are for, uh, for adventurers or people like us, they're technically separated because there's like the barrier that is the monitor between you and your character. So an adventurer always comes back because the mind stays intact. Whereas with a lander, that's not necessarily the case because the body then like disperses and so does the psyche. And then he mentions about magic is broken up into classes and that the event that sparked the apocalypse is world-class magic or magic so great it literally reshapes the world in which we live. Which leads to one of our one of probably the coolest scenes in, in season one. And I never thought I would be actually excited for effectively just a written contract. Yes. <laughs> Okay, um, for for context, we haven't actually brought this up. There's really, there's an A plot and there's a B plot. The A plot follows Shiro, Natsuku, and his, and all their friends, and the the former members of the debauchery tea party that are in Akihabara. There is a B plot starting from pretty much just after the roundtable conference, I think episode 12 or 13, where a bunch of younger players, like school-aged players, are rescued by Shiro and company. And they kind of form this weirdly like support heavy B team where they're all very young and inexperienced. They haven't played many games before, let alone MMOs that are as weirdly tactically adept as Elder Tales. And Shiro kind of like takes them under his wing and they become members of his Guild Log Horizon. The problem is the B team with the exception of like two characters are mostly incredibly boring in one note. Oh yes. I was really not a big fan of a lot of the B team to to break it down. The main A team is Shiro who is the brains. And and as I mentioned back way back in episode zero, he's a hero who gets by because he's smart, not because he's strong. He actually picked a class that is unpopular because its physical stats are so low but it has really high party synergy and that's why he actually thrives. Which is interesting because doesn't he, isn't he like a solo player earlier on? He kind of was and kind of wasn't on and off because the debauchery tea party was never a formal guild. Right. It was just like a bunch of friends who were like getting together and basically just 
be, being king, uh, king of Crap Mountain, and he just kind of was the guy that was there to sort of support them. Yeah, basically through his through his character class, which I believe is scribe. Uh, that's scribe the is his sub subclass. Yeah. His actual uh, enchanter, right? Is his actual class. Then there's a uh, Natsuko, who is the the big. He's the big goofy over the moon guy who's uh, been Shiro's best friend in real life for like 10 years prior to the story starting. And he's like, this is as soon as the apocalypse happened, he's, he has not actually logged on to this game for over a year. And suddenly the day he logs back on is like, Oh, sorry, you're trapped. <laughs> yep. And he even kind of was like, <laughs> the thing is one of my favorite lines. And he says this in the book and in the anime where he's like, we're trapped inside a video game. What a bunch of fantasy novel crap. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, self-aware humor. Nice. <laughs> Natsuki is my favorite because he, he's that he's that friend you have who just says what's on his mind with zero filter. Uh, then they pick up Akatsuki, who is a girl about their age, but she's like four foot nothing. So everyone thinks she's like a middle schooler. <laughs> yes, we have the older than she's older than she looks trope. Yep, with uh, a couple characters actually, and then we kind of have the opposite in Nyanta, who is also one of my favorite characters because he is just so cool. <laughs> <laughs> he just shows up and he's just like making cat puns, and every time someone asks him for a backstory, it gets sillier and sillier as he explains it. And Shiro's like, "No, that's not what happened. Don't believe him." <laughs> <laughs> I actually enjoyed him in a lot of the slice of life moments. He's like sitting, sitting around like making food and he'll just kind of sit back and be like, who's making all that ruckus? <laughs> just, just very casually. Yeah, he's just like, super okay. chill. Everyone <laughs> around him is so high strung and he's just like, and he's just kind of like, Hey, Hey, who, who's making all that noise? over there? <laughs> huh? is, that, is that you? Is that okay? <laughs> um, so, so then we get the B team and it starts with um, Minori and Toya. Minori is boring and literally has only two character traits of note. She is a heel bot. Yes. And she has a crush on Shiro. Yes. Spoiler alert. Neither of those go anywhere because the series just doesn't explore those avenues. There was one episode I honestly did not care for where it's very heavy on that love triangle between um, her and Akatsuki and Shiro. And it's just a lot of like. You like yeah. cake? I like cake. Cake's so yummy. So yummy, yummy cake. Yummy. Oh, but I really love Shiro, but I, what? It definitely becomes very melodramatic. Yeah. The comedy elements of that episode work. And like, they have like this weird rivalry thing. Those parts are actually like legit funny. I liked the part where, you know, Shiro came up with the idea to like send the other crew to go get the cake. Yeah. And he was like, oh, he'll never be able to finish that. Like those parts, those elements definitely worked. And then he like kept just just kept inviting more girls. Yeah. And he's like, what? Seriously? <laughs> I never would have thought of something that stupid, but it worked. The, the, the comedy elements of those storylines work. The serious parts really don't. And, and Shiro, Shiro is such an antiseptic character. And I, I think that's part of what actually makes him really interesting as a shonen anime protagonist is that he's not like what you expect. He, he, he's, this is very dry, very weird, like very strange and off-putting hermit of a man. And so they, they push this love triangle story a lot. I mean, Minori is the worst part of it. If, if Shiro and Akatsuki got together, they're both so freaking weird, I could see it working somehow. Now, 
The more interesting counterpart to Minori is Toya, and honestly, they don't really talk about his backstory very much. There's like one episode where it comes up. I was going to say, Toya definitely is of the B team. I think Toya was my favorite. Once he actually starts getting into like his samurai class and everything like that, when they have that story arc where he actually goes into the dungeon and they're, they're trying to work out their battle strategies and things like that. It, it kind of picked up a bit. Oh yeah, no, definitely. Cause Toya, Toya is kind of what you expect from a shonen pro tag. He's the hot blooded one. He's very brash and impulsive and the others had to kind of like rein him back because he's technically a tank class, but he, he kind of behaves like he's a DPS class. And then we have the big, one of the more important characters in the B team being uh, Rundle. Oh yeah, Rundle House Code. They call him Rudy for short because that, that is quite the mouthful of a name. Honestly, he's my favorite part of the B team because he's just this extravagant egotist. He's very into himself. <laughs> he is, he's very into himself. But he's kind of brash and impulsive too, but in a much more um, metro kind of way. <laughs> Something I did like about him is he actually learns and develops and grows he does the character which is something i always like to see is when characters kind of are more dynamic they'll start out sort of you look at them in a certain light and then you might not like them very much because honestly when i first saw him i was like oh you're kind of annoying and then as it develops you get that element of you know they're learning they're growing they're you find out that he is actually a person of the land that actually wants to become an adventurer and that's like his big the big goal of his story of his character. Yeah. And, and it actually works in a weird way. He has a very, he's a very, very big stage presence. I think is maybe the word for it. I would agree with that. He's, he's a very much an extrovert. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, um, opposite him is Isuzu. Isuzu the bard and bards in log horizon. And even in like in the tabletop game are really freakishly powerful because once they start an effect, like their buffs stay in play like nigh permanently. Um, like I said, the B team is weirdly support heavy and Isuzu and Rudy have this, this sort of like implied, like maybe they like each other. And honestly, it's really funny when Rudy thinks himself this gentleman and playboy, and she keeps comparing him to a golden retriever because he's just kind of this big goofy dog. <laughs> Oh, yes, yes, I remember that. And they keep doing those scenes where he'll literally transform into the dog while she's looking at him. Yep. And um, Sarah, who gets saved earlier by Shiro's team, ends up joining the B team, and she is boring. Yes. Uh, like Minori, she only has one character trait. She has a crush on Nyanta, whose age is unconfirmed. So that's a little weird to me. Uh, we don't actually know how old Nyanta is, and he won't really broach the topic if someone asks him. Yeah, but they but they all, don't they make jokes? They, they made a couple jokes calling him like an old man because he, he would make the meowing sound and be oh, like... Oh yeah, he kept uh, making old man jokes so everyone like assumes he's way older than everyone else. Yeah, and then that does lead us to... Speaking of Rundle, we get back to what we were setting up for the big contract moment. Right. So Rundle ends up during the battle with the goblin army going down. And this is how they discover that he is a person of the land because he's not responding. He's not getting up. He's just dead. And then it's revealed that he is a person of the land. Well, what do we do? We, we really like this guy. We care about him. He's part of our party. And I believe it's... um. Minori that contacts Shiro. Minori has a whole subplot where she's effectively following Shiro and is like in his footsteps. Yeah. And he's she's like taking his notes 
about how to play the game. And that's that's really the focus of a lot of the, the B-Squad story. Minori becomes kind of a leader. She's just sort of learning the game and getting a lot of Shiro's strategical skills to help kind of build them into a team. But so Rundle goes down and then Minori contacts Shiro, who has an idea, and he's the one who creates a big sort of a paradigm shift. Shiro creates a contract for Rundle House Code, and it effectively creates a new type of magic in the world where Shiro is able to turn Rundle into an adventurer when he signs this contract. And in effect, he is able to respawn at that point. This creates kind of a paradigm shift that I believe sets us up for season two. The Wizard of Mirror Lake, he's the character that Shiro kind of goes to to learn more about the world. And we get set up for season two near the end where we find out that Shiro's not the only one who has figured out how to make a new form of magic in this world. Yep. Now, I am going to go ahead and say, for everyone listening, season two ends inconclusively. That's because season two goes as far as, I believe, the 12th or 13th light novel, which, as it stands, as of a few months ago, was the most recently published in the English-speaking world. Now, good news is as we were preparing to record this very episode, there was the announcement that Log Horizon Season 3 is in production. Oh, wow. Yep. Uh, Dutaku and I actually found a thing on it. And yeah, there's going to be a Season 3. And uh, I hope that they keep the same voice actors because uh, I watched the dub version. And they do a great job. And I hope they get the same cast to come back and you know finish off Season 3 as well. Now, season two has several great stories, and you should absolutely watch them. I'm going to tell you it's going to leave you off on a huge, huge cliffhanger because the story kind of just has to stop and there's really nowhere else for them to go. So they just had to end the series. It's like some other shows we've gone through. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they literally could not go further. The, the story hadn't been written up to that point. Um, but the light novels are still in production. Season three has been confirmed. Now, we don't know if season three will be a conclusion or just another like chapter, but time will tell. I think it also has pretty banging soundtrack. Oh, yes. I was actually going through some of it. Obviously, the biggest track that sticks out is the intro. Yep. Database by Man with a Mission. Yes. And there are actually some pretty great rock themes throughout a lot of show yeah no the soundtrack the soundtrack is great and that is in part because man with a mission helped with the music and in return you'll actually see several people from the wolftail clan and it's literally the guys from man with a mission drawn into the anime uh, it's one of those things that you kind of have to watch the episodes a second time to catch but they are there in several like group shots they'll actually have uh the guys from man with a mission in like crowd shots and stuff <laughs> all there with like their, their fully like their, their silly wolf hat things on. Yeah. You definitely need to go into log horizon with a different, like if you're coming from something like SAO, this is not the same thing. This is not SAO. <laughs> it's much less of an action series. There is action. It exists. Oh yeah. The animation, I would say, kind of progressively gets better at the very beginning it feels kind of very generic 
But yeah, that's that's probably fair to say. As it progresses, it kind of gets better and better. From what I've seen of season two, I feel like the just the the actual character designs get kind of streamlined a little bit, and they look a, the animation looks a little bit better. The monsters yeah. in season two spoilers actually look a lot more well designed. A lot of season one, they're kind of fighting these. Just, just generic goblins, goblins it, and squirrels and and fish. It's, it's goblins and and fishmen, and there's some weird scenes where you're watching them. They're sort of half CGI'd, and they're sort of like marching in place. And yeah, <laughs> kind of. And, and the and the uh, in the second second season, it is kind of half explained away. It's like, oh yeah, we just got new armor. It just happens to look like cooler versions of what we were wearing in season one. <laughs> <laughs> and then yeah, so that works out pretty handily. But yeah, this is. A lot more of a world-building political show. It is. Than what you would get with something that's more action-based, I would say. So be prepared for that. Yeah, no, definitely. And that actually, uh, Dutaku is not here to mention it. I promised him that I'd bring it up since it was a complaint he voiced to me as we were watching it. Dutaku said that there are no... There are no meme spammers. There's no ERPers. There's no... You don't see the dregs of MMO society in Log Horizon. Uh, yes. Um, and, and my counter argument to that was, yeah, but the main characters are not 13 years old. They're like 20, <laughs> and they're like in their 20s and 30s. And like Shiro even mentions like he's working on his master's degree. So he has to be at least like 24. And so it's like they're older characters. Yeah, we don't spend as much time with like a bunch of like super annoying kids running around. <laughs> I'm sure they're. I'm sure they're there. They, I don't doubt that they exist. It would be nice. Maybe we'll get some of that in season three. <laughs> they they run into a meme team or something goofy like that. Yeah, that would be inter- That would actually be quite interesting. Now, interestingly enough, season two, and I, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and treat this as like we're, we're just going to kind of cover everything because we might as well because um, there's really no point in revisiting Log Horizon until season three drops. Okay. Um, season two introduces. Yet another team of adventurers from the Chinese server. And entertaining for me in particular is there's an assassin who has frog-themed armor, uses twin katanas, and his screen name is Leonardo. (laughs) It it turns out um, the original author is kind of a Westaboo, and yes, it's a running Ninja Turtles joke (laughs) in Log Horizon. Nice. I was pleasantly surprised when I I found that. <laughs> that always um tickles me a little bit when when you see stuff like that because there's the other show that I recommended for the last roulette yeah space battleship tiramisu the main character is very much a westaboo and he has those moments where he's literally flipping through like all these western shows <laughs> and they're all like renamed <laughs> and just ridiculous they're like renamed off-branded version nice. of it. But it, it like little things like that when they do stuff like that it's funny to me because you you know we're sitting here gawking over the japanese media and they're people doing the same thing for hours yeah you know, over in japan yeah exactly. and um in in this team there's not only leonardo there's uh, kaname who's a big plot point as a friend of shiro's from the debauchery tea party one of the members of their team was a farm bot <laughs> and after the apocalypse she suddenly started developing human emotions and she doesn't know how to handle it. And it's actually really interesting because Kaname is like, oh no, she's our friend. That's why she's with us. And Leonardo's like, no, she is a farm bot and she doesn't understand anything. <laughs> and then Kaname actually like, um, not Kaname, the farm bot, I forget her name. 
the farm bot and Leonardo start talking and she kind of has this moment where she's like, you know, am I useful to you? And Leonardo's like, you're in my party. Of course you're useful to me. And she's like, then, you know, I'm doing my job. I'm doing what, what I'm supposed to do, but something still feels wrong. And he, and Leonardo kind of has this moment of, wow, I think this farm bot is like developing humanity. <laughs> this is the weirdest thing. <laughs> oh yeah. And, and, and before I forget, Leonardo comes from the American server and he ended up using one of the warp rings, which is mentioned like in episode two or three, and that they're completely random and unstable. And he ended up getting warped to the Chinese server. So there's this random American just chilling out with all these like Japanese people on the Chinese server, trying to figure that one out. <laughs> but Cog, Cog kind of already bit into it. The music in the series is fantastic. Database is obviously my favorite. And the ending theme, uh, Forever, and then the uh, season two ending theme, uh, Wonder World, are, they're obnoxiously catchy. I'll, I'll say that. J-pop isn't really my thing necessarily. They're very cutesy <laughs> songs, of course, being an anime. Um, but I love Database. I love a lot of the action themes that they use throughout the show. And as Cog observed, like the early episodes, the animation's a little bit simpler. And it does get sharper as the series runs. Oh, um, did you want to go into the season two? Because I know we have like, you have the plant, um, the, the crazy lady at the end who was like in love. Oh, yeah. plant who you didn't. Okay, that, that's part of the dangling, the dangling plot point that doesn't get resolved uh, is okay. at the very end of season one, this crazy voluptuous foxtail shows up and she's basically what the Joker would be if the Joker were female and remotely competent. <laughs> and she basically starts feeding Shiro these like half truths and She's like, oh, you could rule together as my king. And he's like, um, be gone, thought. I have a meme image of her and she's like, I want to give you all my love. And Shiro's sitting there stone faced and it says, I don't want it. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm just like, yeah, that's that's pretty much how it goes. And Shiro actually has this really cool line. Where he's like, I don't know what plant Huyuden is up to, but I'm not going to cooperate. I have more to offer you as an enemy than as an ally. And when you're ready, I will be your enemy. Mm. I'm just like, oh, dude, that is awesome. That is a really cool moment. Um, Doshiro himself changes over the course of the story. He's much more reticent at first, and he doesn't really like extending himself to people. And he, he kind of has this thing where it's like, well, if I get involved, then I have to do this. And he tends to overstep boundaries. But honestly, you'll, you'll see a lot of genuine human warmth in Shiro, which I think is what makes him work versus, you know, I am God mode Kirito of Sword Art. <laughs> so again, Natsuko is, is definitely my favorite character. He, he really steals the show in a lot of cases. <laughs> I actually really enjoyed Natsuko. He gets even more enjoyable, I think. For me, in season two, when they introduced uh, Tetra. Oh, yes. <laughs> and she's like bouncing all off of him. And he's like, oh, what, what's going on? And it just kind of plays that whole weird dynamic. It's, it's very, <laughs> just strange and quite silly. Yes. My favorite, I think Shiro definitely is still the main guy that carries the show. Yeah. A character that I really liked as well was Isaac. Yeah, he just immediately seeing him. He was the first voice that kind of brought me into the show when he's like, why, why, why does any of this matter? And the fact that they actually addressed it, I was like, 
thank you for at least bringing up my concerns. <laughs> and uh, for, for people who are curious, if you want to know what Cog looks like in real life, <laughs> he's literally Isaac. He looks just like him. He acts just like him. He's literally Isaac. Well, except he was a little more high strung back when we first met 15 years ago. But I mean, I was. Um, yeah. If you had me reincarnate into a wacky fantasy world and I had like swords and powers, I'm like, I'm going to I'm going to like slash stuff up. So I would have I'd totally be hanging out with Isaac and uh, doing he's he's all he's very much he shows up later at the end of season one and he's like working security. <laughs> For the festival. Yeah. And he has a bigger role. He has a bigger role in season two. So you have that to look forward to. Yes. Uh, if you guys get the chance, you should read the novels. They are good and they do kind of expand on some of the things the anime only touches on. Like there are more ways of getting between cities. But really, the, the anime is probably a, a fantastic. No, definitely a fantastic introduction to Log Horizon as a media franchise. It is fantastic. Uh, I could watch it over and over again. And it's one of those shows that does get better on repeat viewings because you'll you'll catch things that you're like, hey, wait a second, that's a reference to something that happens later. And you start catching more of those when you go back and watch it again. Cool. And yeah, I would say it, it can be an acquired taste for some people. You have to kind of move through it and things do make sense. There is kind of a, things get revealed very gradually, but it does have its points where it does get really interesting. And, um, yeah, I mean, overall it was, it was a, I think it was a solid isekai show. I'm, I'm, I'm one who honestly, I've been very, very picky. Um, I'm really have not been very enchanted with the modern isekais exploding right now is like the most popular anime genre and they're pumping out new isekais. Like every every season we get a new isekai show. So I'm one who's kind of gotten really picky about them, but. I mean, I, I, I didn't, I enjoyed Log Horizon. So. Okay. I'm that weirdo. I'm enjoying the boom of superhero movies. I don't mind if they keep making them. I'm enjoying a lot of different isekai. Um, I'm writing one of my own as a spoof of isekai. <laughs> I'll, I'll cover that. I'll cover that in the after hours eventually. And basically, yeah, no, I'm one of those weirdos who, who kind of enjoys this particular media boom. Now, not all of them. I was not huge on the, uh, obligatory zombie boom that only just finally died off after like launched in 2001. Yeah. Yeah, no, uh, log horizons. Fantastic. You guys should watch it. I think you'd really enjoy it. If you were to rate log horizon, should I even ask this at this point? <laughs> if you, if, if snack was a snack, if you were to rate log horizon on a scale of zero to 10, I, I mean, honestly, um, in all sincerity, I think it's a solid nine. There are parts that I would change. Like I said, the B team can be a little bit boring, but the B team isn't really the focus. Um, the show taken as a whole, as a work, is still fantastic in spite of its flaws. What about you, Cog? For me, I would say I enjoyed the show. The, the pacing did trouble me a bit. It, it's a slow burn, but once you once it does start going, it you do get pulled into it. Like Snek mentioned, there are some story arcs that, really get kind of dull and boring in terms of like some love triangles, the love triangles and things like that. I just did not care for despite its flaws. I thought it was a pretty charming show. I would probably maybe about 
an, an eight out of ten. Yeah, that's probably fair. Unfortunately, Dotaku's here, so guess what? That means we we basically get to inform him what we're watching. There. That's that's true. Let's go ahead and uh, put forth what we want to set up as our animes for next time. So, did we want to pick the ones we did before, or do we want to do something different, or what are you in the mood for, Cog? I've actually got one on my watch list. I which I I'd, I'd started a while ago, and I just recently got back to it. It is it is a bloody good time, some wonderful animation, and it's really weird. And it's from the creator of Trigun. Oh, okay. Um, and that is Blood Blockade Battlefront. You know what? For, for mine, I'm going to do something a bit different this time, uh, mostly because I drive Itaku crazy. When I get into something, I tend to really get into it. So I have... The manga, I have the light novel, and I have the anime of Do You Love Your Mom? And if I drag him through it again, he's probably going to kill me in my sleep. <laughs> so I'm going to do something unexpected because um, I've been doing a lot of work on future episodes of Obscure Reviews and Indie Excellence for the Hipster Snack channel. As a result, there are several instances where I was like, oh man, this game was really popular back in its day, and no one talks about it anymore. So my anime is going to be season one of Beautiful Joe. Oh, oh, that's a good choice. Yeah, no, the, the anime is fantastic. And Jenny on the people who had the license to it, who also had the license to Bo 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 Bo, actually went under after the first season had finished. So the first season you can get dubbed. The second season you can't. And the best I found for season two was like a Hong Kong sub. So that's unfortunate. If that does end up changing, I will let everyone know because... It's a really, like, it's a shockingly well-written show. All right, are we going to pick a third category, or are we just going to coin flip this? Oh, uh, how about a random? We usually do a random one. Since Dotaku's not here, we'll, we'll toss something in. Just to live life on the razor's edge, bouncing on a ledge. No, wait, I can't say that. I don't want to pay Iron Maiden any money. <laughs> All right, here we go. Turn, 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 turn. And the random option is... Phantom in the Twilight? Oh, this is short, so whatever the hell this is, it's it's short. It's only 12 episodes. Yeah, all right. Let's see. Two. We landed on mine. We're going to do Beautiful Joe. Sweet. Okay, Beautiful Joe. Next time, guys. Yeah, the taco's still going to kill me in my sleep, but worth it. <laughs> All right, guys, thanks. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Minus Dotaku. He apparently still has not caught, caught up from the cathedral. Uh, he will soon enough. We're going to mosey on over to the After hour segment, and we hope to see you there. Thank you for listening to the Tomodachi Brothers Review Podcast. Produced and recorded by The Hipster Snack, Ditaku, and Cog. Sound design and editing by executive producer Sean Taylor Brown with Cog Sound Engineering. Music written and performed by Sean Taylor Brown with Costas Voss of Core Insight Studio on the drums. We hope you enjoyed this episode. See you next time.
Hey everyone, thanks for listening to the Tomodochi Bros Anime Podcast. I'm one of the co-founders and co-hosts of the podcast, The Hipster Snack. If you want more content from me, I have my own YouTube channel, The Hipster Snack. Links will be available everywhere I can spam it up until I get a custom one, but all in due time. I do weekly game reviews, and in the future, probably more than that. Look forward to it, and I'll see you there and on Twitter, at Hipster Snack. See ya!